Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Trader Cobb Crypto Show. Today's guest, I'm going to be speaking about the issue of custody and wallets and these sorts of things and talking about institutions and how they're coming into the space, what sort of solutions are in place. I'm actually going to be spending my time with Alex Batlin. He's the founder and the CEO of a company called Trustology. So Alex, thank you so much for your time today. Absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. No drama. It's, uh, it's really interesting uh, where we are at the moment um, when it comes to crypto. Now, this is going to air uh, fairly shortly, so people will still be in the midst of uh, this COVID-19 virus that uh, has you on lockdown and me on lockdown and probably many more people listening to this because they're in lockdown. Um, I wanted to sort of speak to you today about is that affecting the market but before we get to that stage, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, Trustology, and when you started it all? Cool. Yeah, sure. Uh, so start Trustology back in November uh, 2017 now, so it's a while now. Wow. Um, and uh, that was uh, with Consensus. So we started as a Consensus Spoke uh, with Joe Lubin. And yep. then after a year, we spun out as a separate legal entity. Um, we then been invested in by consensus, so thank you to them and to Sigma Ventures, thank you to them too. <laughs> um, we are based out of London, um, there's 12 of us uh, cutting code and doing all sorts of stuff. Um, yeah, and we've been really kind of working really hard to create a custodial wallet platform. Um, so we safeguard people's keys and then we help them to put transactions through onto. Bitcoin, Ethereum, and we'll be adding support to other blockchains like Binance pretty yep. shortly, as well as looking after kind of assets on exchanges as well, helping folks manage that. Um, before that, very kind of um, semi-typical, I guess, career for a lot of people in crypto or half of the people in crypto, worked for banks, used to run um, innovation for UBS. Um, this is where I kind of, I was looking at all sorts of stuff from cool mobile projects looking how to do security on those through to moving into kind of uh, machine learning, um, big data, all that kind of stuff. And then discovered uh, blockchain. Uh, I thought it was super cool. Um, ended up opening a lab at uh, level 39 for UBS, where we did a lot of work on smart bonds and so on. And then uh, went into BNY Mellon, uh, did a lot of digital asset custody there. And then tried to um, uh, tried to start up uh, my own company and did uh, which is the just trustology right so you've been uh, you you've, you've been everywhere man as they say so a fair bit of bouncing around and but I mean all in the same industry and did you sort of um when you were was it UBS did you jump ship because you saw something bigger uh, were you bored like what was the reason for you to leave what you would you know, most mothers and fathers would call a good job, a stable income. You know, it, it's a big step to walk away from, uh, from those sorts of organizations. What was it that really inspired you to do that? I felt like I had a once in a life chance to um, try and build something. And, and look, you know, um, larger organizations really kind of perform a very, very important function. Uh, but being very big, um, you simply cannot take the same amount of risk. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, when you're playing with trillions worth of pension funds and stuff like that, you just socially irresponsible to take the kind of risks a startup can do. 
Um, so I worked a lot with startups in my role um, back in the banks, mentoring them what do you need to do in order to kind of um, you know, engineer your systems for bank grade scale. Uh, um, but after a while, you realize that if you are trying to be on the leading edge of tech, um, you kind of have to have a go at a smaller company because the only place that you'll be able to do that in a way that's acceptably risky is in a startup. Um, so it's not there's anything wrong with a bank or anything else. It's more the fact that quite rightly you have to uh, choose the level of risk you want to work on and then certain organizations are suitable and others are not for it. No, that, it makes perfect sense. And, and the word that you used there was, was responsible. Um, obviously, a startup, you, you know, you, it's the old saying of you know, risk to reward ratio. You, know, you, you take bigger risks than you are looking for bigger rewards. These institutions tend to, well, sometimes not take as big a risks. Uh, and, you know, they need to keep chipping away. So completely understand that point of view, mate. And look, I mean, I, I guess moving into the actual service itself, do you want to tell us a little bit about who you've seen, I mean, because you've obviously been around for, you know, a good couple of years now. It's, you know, to be around or starting a company in 2017 in this space, um, it is, and, and to still be alive, I should, I should, I should caveat with that, to still be around, because many, let's face it, many of those ICOs that popped up um, have also popped out, uh, and they're no longer around. But uh, you've been around, you continue to move forward, as do we, and it's interesting to see the changes. I'm wondering what sort of changes you've seen and how you've seen the space sort of transform over that sort of two and a bit years. Um, are you seeing a different demographic come in now to use your product? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if, if you look at um, the early days, you had um, ICO craze and you've, um, so really it's kind of crowdfunding, yeah, you know, yeah. in many ways, um, but with very tech-savvy people. So, there was no demand for custody at that point because uh, kind of the, the folks that were getting into this space um, wanted to kind of fully control their keys, just completely respect, and they didn't need assistance. We've seen a change in that. Uh, the ICOs kind of, uh, the public ICOs, largely gone. Um, there's a lot of worry about um, uh, kind of whether there seem to be securities and so on. Um, so instead, there are a lot more private placements. Um, but actually, we're seeing diversification of people who are buying the tokens. Um, they are now from a wider group of people, um, but they tend to be less technical. Yep. So they need a lot more kind of hand-holding, and they're looking for much more of a, you know, let's call it Web 2.0 experience, where a lot of things are handled for them. Uh, which is kind of what we designed for. We, we're here to kind of promote mass adoption of the yeah. technology. Um, and there are always trade-offs. You know, yes, you are then having to rely on a custodian like us uh, for your keys, uh, for your key management and transaction management. The plus side, you've got someone to call. Uh, we can help you and kind of we'll never lose your keys. Uh, so you'll never lose your keys either. Um, pros and cons, uh, and obviously it's not suitable for everyone. Some people don't want to have a custodian, some do. We focus on the ones that they see value in a, a custodial service. And then of course, uh, we've seen gradual institutionalization in the space um, where folks are kind of uh, coming over from typically kind of existing hedge funds and other alternative investment funds and getting into the crypto space. Uh, 
And of course, when you're managing money on somebody else's behalf, things change drastically because there's one thing when there's symmetric risk and reward, it's your money. If you lose it and then kind of, uh, it's bad, but you're not hurting anybody else. And also kind of, you get to enjoy the money until you lose it. Um, imagine you're a, a fund manager and let's say you've got 10 mil under management, but yep. that million is in a ledger wallet around your neck. <laughs> yep. uh, but your salary is probably not 10 million. So now the risk reward is completely asymmetric. Um, you know, you're on a 220 fund, you're not going to be uh, making the kind of money uh, to compensate you potentially for the loss of those assets. Uh, but you personally liable if you're carrying that, uh, the, the wallet. So um, a lot of people then choose a third party like a custodian um, to manage the funds. And of course the investors, again, are becoming much more uh, kind of crossing over from traditional space where they expect uh, a fund admin, they expect an accountant, they expect a custodian uh, to ensure that the assets are safe. Yeah, it makes sense because the whole, I mean, one of the biggest issues that um, we still have in my, in my humble opinion is that it's not, crypto is still not that easy. Now it's like, you know, you know, with IT people, right? If you speak to an IT person, they talk in terminology and they, they speak in a way that they expect you to know what they're talking about. <laughs> Just the same as, you know, if I go to Spain and, and I don't, and well, let's say, let's say Russia, where English is not quite as prevalent as, as some of the European countries. If I go to Russia, I don't walk around speaking to people in English and expect them to understand what I'm saying. IT professionals tend to do that. And so we see a lot of people that say, well, crypto is not difficult. Well, that's not true. It is difficult until you learn something like what you guys are doing with trustology. Effectively, what you're saying is you're saying, well, it, it's not difficult because we can manage it all for you. And I think that's a really, really big step in the right direction. Quick question from me and on behalf of all the traders out there. Of course, I have my ledger wallet or my, uh, what are they called? Um, trees or wallet. That's the one I've got there. Now I move my crypto from um, from wallet to platform if I need to have more exposure. Now I'm typically trading with margin because you know it's less counterparty risk, right? So how long and is it, am I able to access on Trustology my tokens and just power send them off from an address to another address onto exchange so I can start to trade that? Is that just a simple process like I'm used to at the moment? Yeah, I mean, essentially, uh, kind of one of the things uh, we didn't do uh, deliberately is, is kind of go down the cold storage route where you're going to have a lot of uh, delays and latency delays. We, uh, we are instant access and um, instant transfer. So we kind of sign transactions in less than 350 milliseconds usually, but certainly sub-second. So you don't have to wait on us. You, you move as quick as you need. Uh, the second bit, of course, is uh, we kind of took the approach that the, you know, we wanted a really safe device. Um, so, you know, we, we like the idea of hardware wallets. Mm. We just didn't like the idea of having to have a separate hardware wallet um, because it's, it's a hassle. Um, so we use your mobile phone. Um, now, the nice thing about mobile phones like an iPhone is that they actually have really secure um, enclave, like a, a special hardware chip. Problem with that hardware chip is that it's not compatible uh, with public blockchains because basically, if you are a geek, the, the signature curves on those uh, are defined by NIST, and basically, the, the crypto community doesn't trust NIST. 
they think that this uh, signatures it produces can be broken by the NSA in US. <laughs> so they used a completely different set of curves, which oh, wow. doesn't, uh, doesn't then work. But because we keep the real keys, we still use the uh, kind of iPhone secure enclave to sign the transactions, but that's a signature that uh, we keep to prove that it was you who told us to do something, and then we re-sign the transactions with the keys in our custody on the right curve and submit it. So you've got all the kind of the advantages of hardware wallets uh, in the sense of security and provability. People talk about integrity and non-repudiation. At the same time, uh, it's the convenience of mobile phone uh, and also, of course, we back up all the keys that we have in custody. So if you lose your phone, that's not a problem um, because we, we back everything up. So, um, yeah, it's very quick movements. You can um, use us straight from the mobile, um, but we also have a web UI, of course, for more kind of uh, business-like clients. And then we also have a full set of APIs uh, so you can submit transactions and do everything through the APIs and we have a MetaMask integration. So for those people who are starting to get into um, DeFi dApps, whether it's decentralized exchanging like um, AirSwap, Uniswap, uh, KyberSwap, or you're moving into places like um, you know, derivatives, DYDX or UMA project, or you're looking at lending, DeFi, kind of compound finance, whatever, then all those tools are available through us as well with our MetaMask integration. Well, that was that was my next question. Really, was to see if you were able to sort of work in with this whole um, DeFi solution with the custody. Uh, sorry, with the whole DeFi project. I'm sorry, what's going on with DeFi? And that I can't get my words out today for some reason. The whole movement <laughs> that is DeFi. Are you able to um, you know work in with that, providing the same sort of solutions? And it just sounds like you are sort of on the forefront of that. And I believe there's going to be a huge. You know, we're going through some quite crazy times right now, but. I believe DeFi is probably going to, if anything, uh, explode even harder than it has been throughout what we're seeing at the moment with this virus and what's going on around the world because it's we are changing. Times are changing. And I think it's a really good time for DeFi. But what are your thoughts on DeFi in general? Obviously, you've got the custody solutions there uh, on the Trustology uh, wallet. What's your thoughts about DeFi? Is it something that you guys are really interested in and pushing towards or trying to facilitate throughout Trustology and everything you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think first of all, kind of decentralized exchanges and so on will be around for a while. Yep. And it makes a lot of sense because it's, it's about um, kind of uh, risk, um, risk appetite. So centralized systems are in many cases more efficient because you only do something once. So if yep. you want super fast speed, you, you still want to have a centralized exchange. The downside, of course, is it's centralized. It's a single point of failure. If it's conked out, you're in trouble. So um, then you've got the other way, you know, you go decentralized. Typically right now, that's kind of slower, a lot slower, uh, and also kind of potentially more expensive, but it's a lot more resilient because there's no central point of failure. You know, uh, I think with the coronavirus, the perfect example of the need for decentralization is staring right in front of our face. If one country that's potentially the epicenter for a particular exchange or whatever it is, uh, goes down because everyone's too ill and infrastructure fails, then the entire system falls down. Um, so kind of the reverse can be said for something like Bitcoin and Ethereum where 
you literally would have to have the whole world stopping before you can stop that. So I think that kind of decentralized resiliency uh, is, is going to be super important once we grapple with the very live uh, kind of example of, of why we, we should be building systems that are resilient to single point of failure. Um, so I think it's going to get much, much bigger. The other, of course, uh, thing here is uh, the fact that with DeFi, you are addressing global liquidity pools. Centralized exchanges still tend to be quite regional, precisely because yeah. of trust issues. Yeah. So your liquidity pools tend to be re regional. But if you look at the DeFi profiling in terms of spread of IP addresses that are using those systems, they're truly global. So if the trajectory continues, um, then they're going to overtake any of the centralized systems um, through kind of depth of liquidity and ultimately uh, and lower trading costs. So you have lower trading costs coupled with uh, global liquidity, and that's hard to beat. There are many, many challenges. Let's not kid ourselves right now. You know, I'm making, <laughs> uh, make it uh, almost imploded because of the uh, kind of um, uh, the chain is not being fast enough. Yeah. Uh, and kind of margin calls couldn't be called quickly enough. So I'm not trying to gloss over that, I think. But equally, it did survive. We, you know, everyone talks about Bitcoin and blockchain not having black swan events to prove how resilient or not resilient they are. Well, we're witnessing a black swan event. Um, and it is working. Now, many things didn't go quite as well as they should do, but it's still here. <laughs> well, the, um, the biggest annoyance for me was that, uh, as it appears, I mean, I, I, I've sort of written quite a few pieces and spoken quite... Um, openly uh, about you know the reason i left traditional markets and trading over there and come into this space was because i saw it as being a non-correlated asset class and i could see a crash coming i mean, i didn't i had no idea it was going to be you know the the, the uh, straw was going to break the camel's back like it did i mean the camel's now literally doesn't just have a broken back it's in two pieces <laughs> uh you know right um but yeah it's the, the whole issue with bitmex when the market fell 45 percent um, now, from what I hear, um, that was based off um, something, some form of attack that liquidated all the longs, caused a panic selling, yada, yada, yada. That, to me, proved how young we still are as, as an industry. I mean, yes, we're 10 years, 11 years, whatever it is old now. Um, but it's still, uh, you look at that and you go, well, how can one exchange have such an effect on the price um, of an asset class by falling 45% in the space of an evening or a day, sorry. And you look at it now and we've, we've recovered majority of that back, which is fantastic. And we're now acting more of a, like we were prior to that big crash, but little things like that just frustrate me because if we had have held up around that seven, 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 six, seven, five region for a week more, then I could certainly see money starting to come in, new money coming into Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and digital assets as a whole, simply because the rest of the world was crashing and burning and the safe havens weren't working. The only place money was going was 10 years old was bonds and then bonds collapsed. Um, you know, it was a very, very tricky environment for a lot of fund managers out there and Bitcoin could have provided some form of a solution, which, you know, would have made the price go up, I would suggest. And from that point, I think we would have seen a snowballing effect and we would go high very fast. Now, whether or not that's good for the community or good for Bitcoin or not, it's, it's, it remains to be seen. But I tell you what, I wouldn't mind seeing it <laughs> and seeing how we go with that. 
But I say, actually, uh, I think we haven't seen much yet, and I think it'll change a lot, as we're going to see massive stimulus packages kicking yeah. in right across the globe. People are going to be looking for um, kind of uh, asset classes that uh, have a fixed issuance. Doesn't depreciate uh, as fast, yeah. Exactly, because we have issue risk. Now, uh, look, this is going to be like a really big thing because the the problem with a fixed issuance, you know, if sometimes the socially responsible thing to do is to have a stimulus package. Problem is, as we've seen in 2007, that stimulus package often doesn't actually reach the intended people uh, and it gets stuck in the bank. So I'd love to see, you know, whether we can have learned from 2007 and have the stimulus package actually give aid to the people that need it. Um, but uh, kind of, yeah, people will be looking for asset classes where you don't have this massive uh, supply um, expansion that we, we're going to see in the trillions in the coming six months. Yeah, it's certainly a different world out there. And I mean, I'm, I'm really interested in this service for a number of reasons on trustology. So coming back to that trusting Bitcoin is built around trust. Uh, we're seeing the quantitative easing, we're seeing the stimulus packages, which, okay, it's what's required at the moment, but it's a system that how can we continue to trust it? I mean, that's half the reason this virus spread so quickly, in my opinion, is that people just didn't trust the media as much and didn't trust the news as much because, and it's, it's, this is not a dig at the media, it's because you look at it, there's been SARS, there's been bird flu, swine flu, blood, and it's all a flash in the pan that seems to, you know, there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there. and it, it, The truth has become a little bit blurred. It's given the perfect example of something like this coronavirus to break out the way that it has. And again, it's a lack of trust. Um, trustology, perfect time, perfect name. Um, you've also got insurance there. So for someone like me, like I say, you know, I am, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not that tech savvy. Okay. So for me getting into crypto required a lot of time, a lot of reading, a lot of effort uh, for me to get it right when I first started in July of 2017. So I understand the sorts of hurdles that people are going to come across. I, I've been very fortunate that once I got into the market, I'm a trader. I, I knew what to do and I did well, but I still, to this day, get very nervous when I move Bitcoin from one platform to another or from my key, sorry, from my um, Treasure wallet across to an exchange and back. It, it, it doesn't fill me with that much confidence. I, I'm interested in the service of Trustology because you're insured. I'm sure I've got to pay for things, but I'm not going to lose my private key for one. Tell us about the insurance. What am I insured up to and who are you insured by? Sure. So we're insured through um, Aon. Uh, Aon is a broker, um, kind of pretty large broker. And we've got a number of um, AAA underwriters um, kind of from Lloyds of London and others uh, and other kind of insurance markets. And what we're insured for really is uh, kind of uh, basically us doing the wrong things. <laughs> Let's yeah. be clear about that, you know. Uh, so, for instance, if um, Trustology employees were trying to uh, kind of get together and steal the funds, we're insured against that. If we, frankly, just get it wrong and for some reason lose the keys against, again, the assets that are protected by those keys are under insurance. Kind of. And we obviously maintain the adequate amount of insurance for, for all assets we maintain. Um, so yeah, that's really, it's, it's to make sure that if we lose the funds or if uh, kind of 
um, sorry, if we lose the keys or how we get hacked, for instance, or internal employee uh, kind of uh, tried to, uh, to take it over, then we would uh, be able to claim on that insurance. Now, obviously, we hope that never happens, but just in case it does, it's that extra layer of protection. It's the depth, depth in protection kind of because we have a huge amount of technology, people, and process. Uh, but if all those layers of security get compromised, uh, we then have the kind of the, the backstop of the insurance product as well. So you're safe on tech and you're safe on insurance, which is it's a double win for me. I, I, I kind of like. Well, how can you not like that? And look, I'm on your website now, trustology.io. Um, now you've got three different options, individual, business, and bespoke. So am I reading this right? Just so that everybody that's going to go to the website can understand what they're looking at. It says here, if I'm on the um, annual plan and I'm insured on the Genesis model, uh, it says that I've got free assets under key of 500 pounds. Now let's say I'm underneath the Genesis plan and I've got 5,000 pounds. That are in there does that increase the fee structure that i have to pay to you yeah so essentially the, you know the genesis uh we charge uh what i call assets under key yeah uh, ultimately uh meaning that uh, kind of because we have to pay for insurance um and that's based on the amount of money we insure um essentially we have to pass on those costs to clients so the the more kind of you hold with us um, the more that um, we'll be kind of uh, charging you uh, for as a percentage or pips basis points uh, for, for assets under key. Um, I call it assets in the key rather than management or custody because they're all the terms. So um, we use the words assets under key. But essentially, you know, um, if you have, um, for instance, yeah. hundred thousand, then essentially you're looking at some basis points. Uh, roughly speaking, 50 basis points that we'll be charging. And then, of course, the more you hold with us, we can then negotiate uh, the pricing to make it kind of a good value for everyone. All right. Well, mate, uh, I'll probably get in contact about that because I, I like I say, you know, for me, I, I need a place to, to move my assets around. Um, I, you know, I, I, don't, I just don't have the confidence in my ability to not stuff something up uh, or lose something. Uh, I do have what's the 27 word key thing um, stashed away and I've got all of them stashed away in nice safe places, not on my premise for anybody who's criminally minded. Um, but it, it just seems to be all over the shop. It, it seems to be rather complicated because my brain doesn't work that way. My, my brain thinks, sorry, my, my brain operates the way my brain operates and I, I can't help the way that it does or perhaps perhaps more to the point how it doesn't operate. Um, so I think that's a, it seems like a really, really low cost, high security, uh, peace of mind play. And, and that's really what we're doing here is, is trying to get that peace of mind that our assets are actually going to be safe. So, um, I really appreciate what you're doing. Where, where can people find out more? And what would you suggest people be doing if they're, if they've got more interest in, uh, in trustology? Yeah, sure. Before kind of, uh, addressing that point, it's also worth mentioning that for those people who do trade a lot. Uh, we also have an additional capability to protect the uh, what we call the exchange credential wallets. Um, so let's say you're on Kraken, you're in Coinbase, Bitmax, whatever, and then you often kind of need to move funds between those exchanges to rebalance, or you want to sweep it off into a custodial wallet because you don't want to be keeping funds overnight, for instance, on the exchange. Uh, 
uh, to reduce your exposure to that. So we have a product for that too. It's part of our trustful you know, capability and it allows you to kind of control all your exchange accounts from a single pane of glass. And that works in combination with um, our kind of on-chain accounts as well. And you can set, set up a walled garden so you can make sure that you only move funds between the approved whitelisted set of exchange ah. and uh, on-chain accounts. So that's been really popular for people who trade actively, uh, but also want to have the, uh, all, uh, kind of keep their assets safe on-chain as well. Uh, off exchange. Uh, in terms of next steps, look, uh, what we have is we have both individual accounts as well as uh, business accounts. Obviously, business accounts are popular with funds, they're popular with um, uh, kind of brokers, uh, and actually, we're kind of having quite a lot of interest with exchanges who want to use us uh, for their depository addresses. Um, but we also have the individual accounts, and this is for uh, kind of a lot of the time working with token issuers. Um, so whenever they're private placements, we'll kind of we'll open a business account for the token issuer to manage their treasury, but also for the individual uh, token purchases, they have an individual account. So you can start real simple. You can open an individual account with us. It's free below two hundred and fifty pounds. And then it's two bucks and four bucks or four, two pounds and four pounds uh, for kind of uh, paid tiers. Um, and then you can pay more for the assets you have under custody. So you can open that. Um, it's really easy to open an account with us. A very simple KYC checks. Uh, we kind of fully compliant. So we do KYC and everyone. Cool. Um, but it's two or three minutes uh, to get through. Uh, and then you get going. Uh, so really cheap and easy to uh, test us out. And then if you want to open a business account, drop us a line on um, either kind of help at trustology.io or just chat to us on the website, um, open a business account. And then there we support the more complex multi-sig controls, uh, kind of whitelisted kind of uh, wall garden addresses and all that kind of stuff where slightly more sophisticated and more powerful for for the more complex controls a business needs to have well mate it sounds like you've uh, you've got us all covered from the uh, the early person in who uh, might have a larger amount to work with to the, the newbie who wants to have that peace of mind to a company that wants to get across to its investors or also manage its own portfolio and and, and treasury so Mate, it's it's great what you're doing. As you said earlier in this uh, in this interview, you're looking to, to towards mass adoption. We need that, uh, and we need key players uh, like Trustology to be leading the way. So thank you so much for your time, Alex Batlin, ladies and gentlemen. Please make sure uh, if there is any interest there, and I'm going to tell you that I certainly have an interest there, just because I'm a bit of a kook when it comes to uh, technology. Visit trustology.io. That's trust o l o g y. Dot io. Alex Batlin, CEO and founder, thank you so much for your time today, mate. Thanks, Craig. Have a good one. You too, mate. Take care. Bye for now.